Blog Talk Radio. Saturday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is June the 22nd, 2019, and I'm a day late, but not a pound short. We have lots to talk about tonight. Um, I couldn't resist the invitation that I was afforded yesterday at I-24 News, a news organization based out of Israel, but it's a global news organization, because they wanted me to come in and talk about the insanity the disgusting, uh, I don't know what words I can use, of um, Alexandria uh, Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez. I have such problems with her name, with her attitude, with the nonsense and the hatred that she spews, her incompetence. Uh, She just blows me away. And so she came out and made the statement that uh, we have concentration camps on the U.S.-Mexican border equating immigration agents, ICE agents, with the Gestapo. Uh, Unbelievable. I've heard this before, by the way, and it's doubly infuriating to me. First of all, I am proud that I spent 30 years with the former INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service, but I'm also a Jew. And my grandmother, for whom I was named, died in Poland during the Second World War, my mother's mother. Uh, We believe she probably was killed in one of the concentration camps, but of course, we will never know. Uh, She was just one of six million. Think of that staggering number. Six million who were killed Jews. It was an effort at genocide, at the extermination of the Jewish people. And of course, the Holocaust took many more lives. World War II, in the aggregate, took 60 million plus lives. So we now have a member of the House of Representatives, and I'd love to know who the hell she thinks she's representing, equating the Gestapo, the extermination of Jews, with detention facilities for aliens who enter the United States illegally. If we don't detain them, what are we supposed to do? Welcome them with open arms? Well, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what she and her fellow travelers in the Democratic Party want. They've made it clear. They want a termination of immigration law enforcement. They want an end to America's borders. And we all know that a country without borders cannot defend itself. This woman is calling basically for the suicide of America, and she's not alone, not at all. Um, We have other members of Congress making similar statements. Uh, You have the Democratic Party, I believe, hell-bent on creating a country that cannot defend itself. And then, of course, uh, we come to another genius, a woman that this country admitted, I believe, as a refugee, Um, and, and of course, What we're talking about is Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and she defended Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez by saying there are camps and people being concentrated. Omar stated that this is very simple. I don't even know why this is a controversial thing for her to say. What does it mean people are being concentrated? So this was the issue that I discussed on I-24 News, and I'm going to get back to it momentarily on my program tonight because this madness bears close consideration and scrutiny because America's survival is on on the line 
And all this does is to encourage more anti-Semitism, more bigotry, more death, more violence. This is what now supposedly represents America and the House of Representatives. Wow. This takes my breath away. But the biggest problem, as you will find out, is not just what Omar and Ocasio-Cortez had to say, but what the supposed leadership, and I use that term loosely, of the Democratic Party had to say. And this was really what was most hurtful and dangerous and worrying. But first, I also want to get to a couple of other issues, or at least tell you about some of the other issues that we're going to be discussing uh, this afternoon, this evening, depending on where you are. Um, if you go to the blog talk uh, note that I put up about what we're going to be talking about today, um, we also have to uh, talk about breaking news. President Trump has announced that first he announced that there would be massive field operations to arrest illegal aliens who had final orders of removal. That means they've exhausted all of their legal remedies. They have no entitlement to be in the country, and there's no place to appeal their final order. It's done. It's over with. Sentence, if you will, has been passed. And by the way, sentence is really not a good word because the Supreme Court has ruled that deportation removal is not considered punishment. We're simply telling people, go back to your home country. So we're not imposing a fine. We're not putting them in jail. We're sending them back to whence they came. And the screaming from, again, the Democrats is mind-boggling, but let's not forget that we got into this mess initially because the Republican Party wanted to placate the Chamber of Commerce, wanted an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And, of course, for the immigration lawyers, both parties, you can find them, look them up, ALO, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, an unlimited supply of clientele for law firms across America. Now, where in that equation do you hear anything about what's good for Americans or even what's good for the United States of America? Crazy. So the president said, we're going to go out there and we're going to have the agents arrest all these uh, illegal aliens that we can find who have outstanding orders and they, they've you know, run the, the, the gamut. It's time to go. And what disturbs me, frankly, was breaking news just minutes before I went on the air today. The announcement was made that the president will hold off on this massive field operation for two weeks to try to work a deal with the Democrats over the asylum laws. Now, I have a real problem with the asylum laws, and I certainly want them to negotiate with the Democrats, but not by compromising immigration law enforcement. I'll share some thoughts about that with you also. None of what we're witnessing makes much sense to me, but perhaps there are smarter people out there than I am. Finally, driver's licenses for illegal aliens. I wrote an article about this for Front Page Magazine. The title of my article, New York Will Provide Illegal Aliens with Driver's Licenses. My subtitle, Where is Governor Cuomo's MVP Award from the Terrorists? So that's what we're going to be covering today. We're going to get right to it, but I want to first of all thank you for joining me. We're living in a very dangerous era an era in which the politicians from both parties are not representing the best interests of the majority of our citizens or the long-term survival of our nation. America is not the only country with a problem. You have other countries still buying uh, electronic uh, components from China, even against the warnings of uh, the president of the United States. I'm thinking specifically of Huawei and 5G, but there are other companies out there 
And the corporations are driving their governments to the brink of destruction, saying, well, we can get cheaper components from China. I guess it's okay if China spies on them. China is a totalitarian country. There have been recent reports about how China sells the organs of their own citizens. Think about this, how they're using facial recognition technology to punish their citizens who jaywalk or commit any infractions. They could lose the privilege of riding on public buses or having their children go to school through the use of facial recognition technology. Google is working with China to help clamp down on the Internet through the government of China. But they won't work with the U.S. military claiming moral reasons. Really. This is probably the craziest era in the history of the United States. And what we now have are the greedy buffoons in charge. And it all started with two Supreme Court decisions, in my judgment. Number one, in the 60s, it was decided that companies are constituents of the government. That's not what the Constitution says. It's not what the Declaration of Independence says. It says we the people, not we the corporate executives or we the companies. And then, of course, the wheels really came off the wagon with Citizens United, which basically said that unlimited amounts of money could be pumped into political campaigns. So we now have the bidding war. The government of the United States now needs to have a new position in the cabinet, the auctioneer, <clears throat> because we're getting the best government money combined. And it's really difficult to get politicians to listen to you. It always has been. But it is particularly difficult when they stuff their ears with the money of the lobbyists. I was not allowed to accept a cup of coffee or a can of soda when I was on duty as an agent for fear that I, it would compromise my integrity. I guess we don't worry about the integrity of politicians. They don't have any. That which doesn't exist can't possibly be a problem. So politicians... How many emails do you get, folks? We need money. My opponent launched a campaign. My opponent this and my opponent that, and, and we'll have matching funds. It's all about money. Money, money, money. And people know that if you give significant money to a politician, you're not generally doing it out of the goodness of your heart unless it's your son or daughter who's running for office. You're doing it because you expect something in return, something that you probably should not be able to get. That is called corruption. Our system encourages and induces and aids and abets corruption through all of these opportunities to provide bribes, better known as campaign contributions. That's where we are today. That's where the problem exists. And if you look at San Francisco and Los Angeles with the homeless problem, we hear all this nonsense about the environment from the left. Have they walked down those streets and seen human um, Waste on the sidewalks, hypodermic syringes, lice, pestilence, diseases that, that go back to the Middle Ages, perhaps bubonic plague next, according to one article that I just read. This is the year 2019. We're told that we have to worry about global warming. But meanwhile, you better be careful not to step in human feces when you visit what used to be the beautiful city of San Francisco. I've been to San Francisco a number of times decades ago. It has become literally, literally a sewer. Now, the politicians look at this. They scratch their heads. We'll fix it somehow. Don't worry. There's a nexus to immigration. You destroy middle-class wages. You jack up housing prices by flooding the country with potential tenants supply and demand, the value of real estate goes through the roof, the realtors are happy, 
the bankers are happy, the millionaires, they don't care, they've got the money to burn, but the average middle-class family evaporates. And that, in part, at least, is who's now living on the sidewalk. Think about that. Because we keep on bringing in more foreign workers and the number of new jobs we're creating, and not just at the bottom run, we're talking about the high-tech workers. You know, the people that Alan Greenspan back in 2009 when he testified for Chuck Schumer before the Immigration Subcommittee in the Senate referred to American high-tech workers as the privileged elite who earn a wage premium because we shield them from foreign competition. He said the solution to wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills is to flood America with foreign workers who work for lots less money when you get rid of that wage premium being paid to the American high-tech workers, the educated workers, you will have taken a giant step towards wage inequality. Wage equality, rather. Really, you're taking a giant leap towards communism and poverty on a scale that America has never seen before. America is rapidly becoming a third-world country. More than a decade ago, I said that rather than Mexico looking to America as its role model, the oligarchy of the United States was looking to Mexico as America's role model. If only we could destroy the middle class, think how much more money we could have. And these are people who are billionaires. They're not hungry. You understand who the guy who's hungry stealing a loaf of bread and a container of milk at a grocery store. And frankly, if I saw it happen, I'd have to buy the poor person groceries because they're desperate. These are people that have mansions scattered all over the world fly around the world in their own planes and they have their own yachts and they're worth billions of dollars. But like a cancer with an insatiable appetite for nutrients, these dirtbags have an insatiable appetite for wealth. So here we are. I guess this is as good a time as any to, to tackle the lunacy, the comparison of immigration detention facilities with concentration camps. By the way, if what I'm saying to you today resonates, I have a favor. Please forward my, the links to my articles, forward the link to this program and my other podcasts on the Michael Cutler Hour to as many friends and, uh, and neighbors and people you know as you can. Because this is not what you're going to hear primarily from the mainstream media, not just on this issue, but on immigration and all these other lies. Because, um, again, I urge you to read 1984. The news media has truly become the ministry of truth. Uh, the mechanism that generated propaganda in George Orwell's book, 1984. And let's stop using the term political correctness. Let's end that nonsense once and for all. This is not about political correctness. This is Orwellian newspeak. Control the language, you control the thoughts. It's the thought police, not the PC police. During the Holocaust, Jews and others deemed undesirable by the Nazis were rounded up in their homes, and they were citizens of those countries. They were there since they were born. Their families went back generations in many cases. Imagine the police coming to your house in the middle of the night at gunpoint pulling you out of your house, maybe the house you grew up in, trashing all of your family's heirlooms. In some cases, the stormtroopers bayoneted babies in front of their mothers and fathers. You think about that imagery. They took these people, put them in cattle cars, and shipped them off to concentration camps. They called that deportation. That was the euphemism. When we talk about deporting aliens, today we use the term removing them. 
They're not being sent to concentration camps. By the way, concentration camps were called concentration camps because they forced these people into labor, into slavery. Um, I have real mixed feelings about Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun was the father of the space program for the United States, but he was using slave labor. You can look this up at Panamunda in the Hartz Mountains, where he built the V-2 rockets that were used as weapons of terror against the people of London, our allies. So when, when, I, when I think about the way that people were treated and killed and experimented upon, Mengele, who did all kinds of crazy experiments, mostly with Jewish people. My first wife died of cancer 33 years ago. Her mother was in a concentration camp. Her father told me how he and his family and neighbors were forced to run for the years of the Holocaust in the forests of Poland, sleeping at night in holes they dug in the ground and covered with boards so that the Nazis wouldn't find them. And some of the Polish people tried to help them, but they were scared to death that if they were caught helping the Jews, they would be shot on sight. So they would leave their barns open just a little bit, which was the way that the people on the run, the Jews knew that if they opened up the barn door, they would find food, water, whatever they might need to help them get by to the next day. They lived literally hand to mouth on a day-to-day basis for years. My father-in-law's brother was caught by the Nazis violating curfew. There was no legal process. They lined him and others up against the wall and machine gunned them in the back. That was the Holocaust. We are, as a country, entitled, in fact, we are compelled to make certain that foreign nationals who have no inherent right to enter the United States in the first place don't enter in the first place. And, you know, it's so remarkable that while Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez makes the comparison about the Holocaust, There was a guy, believe it or not, who was arrested by the New York City Police Department for breaking into the office building where she had her offices and refused to leave. Isn't that an allegory for the illegal aliens? I didn't see her running to this guy's side and say, oh, please, please, I'll take him home with me and feed and clothe him, and then I'll bring in his wife and his eight kids, and we'll give them all free medical care. No. The guy wound up getting arrested and going before a judge. You can't break into someone's house and you can't break into someone's country when you're not a citizen. So understand that there is absolutely no comparison between the two. And the people that are being detained in immigration detention facilities are not being tortured. They're not being used as experiments. They're not being killed. They're not providing slave labor. The children are well-fed. And and the point that was interesting that was made yesterday Uh, by Michelle over at I-24 News. She said to me, her name is Michelle McCorry, wonderful journalist. She does a terrific job. I'm always happy to join her. And and she said, well, why doesn't Congress provide the money for better facilities if the Democrats are so unhappy? I said, because they don't want to provide better facilities. They just want a talking point for their political campaign and their lies and propaganda. You know, I testified before numerous congressional hearings. There was one hearing that was held about what we do with refugees who enter the United States and how we deal with them. The Democrats wanted them all released with an ankle bracelet. And I said, that's dangerous. Because if you read what the 9-11 Commission report had to say, if you read the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, they talk about how a number of the terrorists came in as refugees and carried out terrorist attacks. We just had a case now of a guy who was admitted as a refugee, and he's a terrorist. You look at the Boston Marathon bombers. 
they were given political asylum in the United States. Not unusual. So I said what we really need to do, if you're dealing with children especially, is to create a facility that's more like a hotel than a, than a prison. But we shouldn't be releasing anybody into the United States until and unless we thoroughly vet them and make certain that we know who they are. I mentioned my first wife's parents uh, a couple of minutes ago. Her parents were forced to stay in an Italian resettlement camp in Italy before they could come to the United States. They were there for years. In fact, her brother, who obviously was older than her because she was born in America, her brother was born in Italy in one of those camps. And nobody complained. They all said, wonderful. If they can clear us so that we can come to America, we'll be happy to come to America. Today, we're being told that we have to admit them immediately. We have people storming our borders, throwing bricks and bottles at Border Patrol agents. And if the Border Patrol agents respond with what law enforcement refers to the less lethal uh, uh, devices, whether it's tear gas or whatever, oh, my God, the inhumanity, they're gassing. There's that word again. They're gassing the migrants. They're not migrants. They may be migrants going up through Mexico, but the term migrant has nothing to do with immigration. Understand that. These people are aliens. And this goes back to Jimmy Carter. We're going to modify the language. This is George Orwell. This is the Ministry of Truth. We're going to refer to all aliens as immigrants since we're a nation of immigrants. If you dare suggest that any immigrant not be denied, be denied entry into the United States, then you are labeled as a xenophobe and a bully and a hater and a racist. This is insane. But this is what has happened with the use of words, you see. By the way, there are American migrants. We generally associate the term migrant with farm workers. Think about that. So Hugo Chavez created the Farm Workers Union. There was a movie about Chavez that completely twisted what he had to say. Hugo Chavez was so against illegal aliens because it destroyed wage structure for American migrants who were suffering as it was, he recommended perpetrating violence against the illegal aliens who were pushing American migrants off of the farms. So when you hear this term, migrant, why in the world aren't we calling them aliens? Because that would provide clarity to what we're actually dealing with. But I also want to make another point. Very often it's easy to vilify the wrong people for the wrong reasons. Illegal aliens who are simply coming to live and work in the United States, and if you notice when these people were being interviewed in those caravans, heading up through Mexico, the great majority didn't say I'm running for, because I'm afraid of violence or, or, or that sort of thing. I want a better life. I don't blame them. Everybody wants a better life. I wanted a better life too, so I went to college. Anybody who went to college probably went to college looking for a better life, a better job, greater income. Of course, corporate America, the Chamber of Commerce, Silicon Valley, they took care of that real well by bringing in people from India who will work for a third the wage of an American programmer or engineer. This is not an accident. This is corporate welfare being provided by both political parties. If you want to see collusion, we've been hearing about collusion ad nauseum ever since President Trump was elected, but not collusion between Russia and Trump, collusion between Democrats and Republicans where open borders are concerned. So I don't blame illegal aliens who come to the United States to work illegally. They try. They try. I blame America 
for not deterring it. I blame their own countries for not providing them with an opportunity to live a decent life in their own country. Mexico has, I believe, the 15th largest economy in the world. The 15th largest economy out of nearly 200 countries. You would think that the Mexican people ought to have ample opportunities for success in their own country. In fact, um, we've seen billionaires come out of Mexico. So what has happened is you have an oligarchy in Mexico where 1% of the population controls perhaps 98% of the, of the wealth of the country. Carlos Slim, a Mexican, was born and educated in Mexico, became the, uh, he got involved with a bunch of industries, became at one point the wealthiest man in the world. And he lived in Mexico, didn't come to America. Why are there not more opportunities in Mexico? The oligarchy controls the economy. About 10 years ago, there was an article written by an economics professor in Princeton University. And I was surprised because the guy was spot on. We always associate universities with, with being leftist and, and all this other stuff. Well, what was interesting about this particular professor's statement was that America had gone from a republic to an oligarchy. Think Mexico. Think Mexico. That's what we're witnessing. So the people that are really creating the nightmares, both for the illegal aliens who are terribly exploited, I bear witness to that, having raided factories and all sorts of employment venues when I was a new agent, that the treatment was horrific. But who do you blame? The illegal alien or the employer? I blame the employer. I blame the politicians who never gave us a sufficient number of ICE agents to make certain that immigration laws would be observed and obeyed. And when we got the amnesty under Reagan, we never really hired an adequate number of ICE agents or immigration agents back then to make certain that crooked employers who hired the illegal aliens would be discovered and punished. That's why we have the problem. You have 6,000 ICE agents for the whole country, and half of them aren't even doing immigration work. And that's because of the way George W. Bush set up immigration after 9-11. It was done to obstruct immigration law enforcement. Don't be shocked that Jeb Bush said that illegal immigration was an act of love. George W. Bush was right on the same page with him. This is the problem. It's not one party or the other. It's both parties. And when I see people writing responses to my articles, and I love reading them, folks, it's not just the Democrats. It's the Republicans. Ronald Reagan gave us the first amnesty, didn't hire enough agents. He gave us the visa waiver program. Both parties are in bed. Both parties want the campaign contributions. Both parties want to placate the immigration lawyers and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and all these non-government organizations that are making out literally and figuratively like bandits over the refugee program. This isn't accidental. And this is not an, an unsolvable problem. The problem is they don't want to solve the problem because to the people at the top of the food chain, this isn't a problem. It's a delivery system. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign students, foreign tourists, and for those immigration lawyers, both parties, an unlimited supply of clients. That's why they want comprehensive reform. It wouldn't get people out of the shadows. The ones that are hiding would still be hiding. What it would do is get them into the waiting rooms of the immigration law firms. Understand the betrayal, the conflict of interest, the shafting of America at a time when we can ill afford to be weakened by nearly a non-existent border. And when I asked Michelle McCory, I said, you want to know why they didn't provide the money to build better detention facilities? I have a better question. 
Why didn't they give the administration the money to secure the border and enforce the law so these people wouldn't be coming here because people are dying? They just found the body of a girl from India in the desert. People are dying out of desperation to come to America. They are as much a victim as anybody else. You wave a juicy steak in front of somebody who hasn't eaten in a week, and the question is, what would they do to get their hands on that steak? Well, they're in the desert crawling on their bellies, and urine starts to look like a decent drink, and you offer them fresh water, but they have to navigate a, a, a bunch of uh, hurdles that involve uh, you know, deadly risks to their life and safety. These are desperate people that are being taunted by our government to push-pull. Mexico wants these people here. El Salvador wants their citizens here. Guatemala wants their citizens here. India wants their citizens here. Ireland wants their citizens here. This isn't about Latin America. Latin America gets the attention because that border is very obvious. But that border is providing access to the United States for people from all over the world. We've had people come in from the Congo. Uh, what we need to realize is that there's now, once again, an Ebola outbreak in Africa. Those governments love when their citizens come to America. First of all, they don't have to provide them with water, with food, with electricity, education. America does it. Wonderful. And guess what? Every citizen of a foreign country who comes to America generally comes to America with one goal, make money, however they make it, whether it's by criminal activities, selling drugs, committing credit card fraud, mail fraud, bank robbery, they don't care. Because what do they ultimately do with the money? They send the money back to their home country. So that nourishes the economy of the country that sends us their aliens, if you will. The banks love it because banks are moving companies. See? Banks don't care where the money comes from. They don't care if a woman is forced into prostitution in a brothel at gunpoint and she gets to send a little bit of money home. That money is still being moved by the bank, and the bank gets a, a a piece of the action, their, their, their cost of moving the money. Maybe it was a surgeon who came to America to save a child's life who has inoperable cancer, but he has a, a technique that might work. Well, he sends money home, and the banks move it. Maybe the drug cartel consummated a drug deal last night, and they now have $10 million to move. Yep, step right up. Go to that window. Go to Western Union. Go to that bank. Go to that institution that wires the money. And they get their cut. They are the silent partner. So everyone's been driven around in circles. And meanwhile, we're so busy keeping our nose to the ground and our ear, was it the ear to the ground and our nose to the grindstone, that most Americans don't have an understanding of what's really playing out. And meanwhile, and it was interesting, there was a congressman, Yoho, who was on Fox today, again, talking about Hezbollah, the Iranian terrorist organization, operating throughout Latin America with the drug cartels and the human traffickers, flooding America with drugs and people, including sleeper agents. This is what's going on. But the sideshow cranks up, and you have Ilan Omar, and you have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, this is like the concentration camps. So while we're fighting over this, the bigger issue is being ignored. And the bigger issue is that we do not have a secure border. You know, in the Wild West, when the people going west in the covered wagons came under attack, what was the first thing they yelled out? Circle the wagons. Why did they circle the wagons? If you're under attack, you need to create a secure perimeter. 
Okay? Let's go into the future, science fiction, Star Trek. What happens with Captain Kirk whenever they're under attack? Shields up. It's the same idea. Reinforce the perimeter. Make sure that whatever that's being shot at you doesn't penetrate. I wore Kevlar vests when I went on duty if we were going to do a raid. Why? So that if someone had a knife or a gun, uh, perhaps it would keep that, that projectile from penetrating me. So you reinforce the perimeter to safeguard that which is inside. America's perimeter is known as its borders, and we're a country of 50 border states. So now we get to the president's statement that he was going to have immigration agents go out and arrest thousands. First, he said millions. I don't know. Maybe maybe President Trump um, studied new math or something. I, I don't think we're in the position overnight to arrest millions of illegal aliens, although they are certainly here right for the taking. But we are talking at least about thousands. And it was all set to go in the next day or so. And suddenly he pulls back and says, nope, I'm going to give the Democrats two weeks to make a deal over the refugee problem. I have to tell you, I I like most of his immigration policies, folks, in my judgment as a former agent. This thing goes beyond being a clunker. And I'll tell you why. The enforcement of laws is not. I will say this 20 times, is not, never should be, a bargaining chip. You don't ever, 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 you never, ever bargain away the enforcement of the laws to achieve a political objective. I want you to think about this. When was the last time you heard a president of the United States order the IRS to not audit people's tax returns Because the administration, whichever one it was, pick one, was trying to get a new tax bill through the Congress. I'm hereby ordering the IRS to stand down. Have you ever heard that? Of course not. The president just now said that for two weeks we're going to stand down. The idea that we should be arresting illegal aliens with quote-unquote no criminal history and everyone is shocked should be business as usual. Now, let me get into this for you. Immigration law enforcement is like any other law enforcement. It's a triage. Forgive me while I grab a sip here. You always want to go after the most serious problem before you go after the less serious problem. The word triage, for those of you who don't know, is a French word, and it's the number three. During the First World War, French doctors on the battlefield came up with the idea of the triage. They put wounded soldiers in three categories, the dead and dying, the people with very serious injuries, the people with minor injuries. Medicine was not then what it is today. By the way, here's an interesting thing. People say, well, the homicide rate in New York has dropped, and I hadn't even thought of it, but a friend of mine who's a criminologist says, yes, well, maybe there's fewer shootings, Mike. But more than likely, it's because doctors are better at saving the lives of people who get stabbed and shot. Hadn't thought of it from that angle. There's lots of factors that, that influence those numbers. Figures don't lie, but liars can figure. But back then, medicine was very primitive. There were no antibiotics. They didn't have MRIs. They didn't know how to do neurosurgery. All those things that we take for granted didn't exist. That would have been science fiction uh, back during the First World War. So lots of people died. 
and the doctors had to be cold-hearted about it and, and look at the guy with, with the gaping wound in his head or the chest or whatever and say, well, this guy's not going to live anyway. We're going to put him aside. If at some point we can deal with him, if things quiet down, we'll try, but it's, it's hopeless. Why waste limited resources? And then they looked at the guy with the sprained ankle and they said, yeah, well, he's not going to die because of that. Just, just immobilize him and put him off to the side. And they focused their attention on the people with the most serious injuries who were likely to survive. So the idea was you go after the most serious before you do the trivial. You go after the guy with the gunshot before you go after the guy with the sprained wrist, you see, triage. Law enforcement is the same thing. If you're driving down the road five miles an hour over the speed limit and the sun is shining and, and you're driving your car rationally and traffic is light and the, and the roads are dry, no police officers, well, probably, I won't say no, but it's not likely, certainly in New York, you're not going to get pulled over for speeding for going five miles over the limit. You're not posing a threat to anybody. And the cop knows, hey, if I sit here, someone's going to come through here going 20 miles over the, uh, over the speed limit. I'd rather wait for him than waste my time with a guy going five miles over the limit. That's an example of prosecutorial discretion and the idea of triage, go after the most serious first. When I worked with Senator Al D'Amato to convince him to create the aggravated felon reentry law that makes reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year felony, we did that back in the 80s because we used to not be able to get the U.S. attorney to accept most of the cases for prosecution of aliens who were deported and came back repeatedly until the penalty went from the two years to a max of 20 for criminals who have serious criminal histories. That's something that I worked with Al D'Amato. A bunch of my colleagues at the old INS worked with me. Walter Connery, the head of investigations, unbeknownst to me, had then written a legislative proposal, legislative initiative, and we got the law. This is now the most frequently prosecuted felony for the Justice Department. But I, when I approached the motto, and the reason I'm telling you this, was I said, look, Senator, we need to stop only focusing on um, criminal – well, actually, it's kind of backwards. Back then, the attitude was an arrest was an arrest was an arrest. So if some guy arrested a woman who had three children and she was working at a sweatshop and those children were here illegally, that counted for four arrests. So on paper, this guy made four arrests. If I spent a week looking for a guy who pulled a gun on a police officer and then escaped and I arrested him and it took me a whole week to find him, I made one arrest for the week and the guy that arrested the woman in the sweatshop made four arrests for the day on paper, but they weren't equal. So I suggested to the senator that the Immigration Service should focus on criminals, but not exclusively, not exclusively. So if I'm looking for a bad guy, and, and people who are fugitives move frequently. They don't let grass grow under their feet because they know if they hang out in a neighborhood for too long, people will know who they are. Sooner or later, law enforcement is going to track them down. It's a hellish existence. I will never understand the mind of, of the criminal. But in order to protect themselves from that possibility, they tend to move frequently. So if you go to an apartment and you have an address on a bad guy, let's say the guy's a rapist or, or, or whatever, he's gone, you find another illegal alien in that apartment, you need to arrest him. He might not have a criminal history, but by arresting him, you're sending a message to all of the people that he knows because he's going to be telling his friends about this. You know, I was sick last Thursday. I didn't go to work. There's a knock on the door. I opened the door, and it was an ICE agent with his partner. They weren't looking for me. They were looking for the guy who used to live there, but I'm here illegally, so I got arrested. 
So that sends the message of deterrence that even if you don't have a criminal history, if you're illegally present in the United States, you can't go to bed confident that tomorrow won't be the day that you get arrested. That's rational. It's reasonable. And that's the way it needs to work. The other problem is that sleeper agents, and I speak about this frequently, maintain a very low profile. Somebody once said that a spy, and you could say this about a terrorist, would not attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. Might even be the waiter or waitress. They don't get into arguments. They don't jaywalk. They don't spit on the sidewalk. They make sure they do everything just so. And when they pass people in the street, they smile. They don't scream obscenities. So everyone thinks he's a nice guy. How many times have you heard that? The guy gets arrested for killing eight people, and, and the neighbor is interviewed. He was such a nice guy. He was so quiet. He kept to himself. Of course, that is the embedding tactic that was detailed quite clearly by the 9-11 commissions, which I provided testimony. So to maintain the integrity of the system, and I see where the leadership at ICE is using that phrase that I've been using forever, to maintain the integrity of the immigration system, we need to arrest aliens who are here illegally. And everyone's saying, oh, my God, they're going to arrest families. They're going to split up families. Let me dispel that myth for you. If an illegal alien is living in the United States and brought along his or her children, and they are here illegally, they all go home together. That's what we used to do. Now, if the illegal alien gave birth to a child in America, that child the way things now stand under the 14th Amendment, the way it's been interpreted, that child is now a United States citizen. And everyone says, oh, my God, that poor child, their parent is going to be deported. And they can't, you know, no, no, no. Here's what happens in the real world. That child who's an American citizen is also most likely a citizen of the country that their parents are citizens of. They're dual nationals. That child is free at the parent's discretion, to go back to the home country with the parent. So when the people say, well, they don't know that country, they're going to go with the parent. Or they could stay here with an uncle or a friend. They can visit their parents. They could play hopscotch back and forth across the U.S. border as frequently as they want, not just to go to Mexico. If you arrest an illegal alien from Ireland, and there was a story, I think, on 60 Minutes about the Irish who were here illegally. I certainly did a story on Irish TV about this also, by the way. They're here illegally, and suddenly immigration finds them. We send them home. This isn't about Mexicans or brown skin or Latinos. It's about the immigration laws that say if you run the border, you enter it illegally, basically trespassing, you're subject to deportation. If you're admitted on a tourist visa, we give you six months to stay here, or you come under the visa waiver program, you can have 90 days to stay here. If you stay beyond that time, you need to leave, and we're going to enforce that departure. What is unreasonable about that? Let me make an analogy for you that maybe makes sense. We all go on business trips or vacation trips, and we check into a hotel, and they give us this beautiful hotel room, and we love it, and they say, how long will you be staying, Mr. Cutler? And I say, I'll be staying until the 30th. They say, that's great. The morning of the 30th, they slide that bill through the door telling you checkout time is 1130, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, whatever it is at that hotel. This is what you owe us. Would you scream this isn't fair? You like that apartment? You knew that you were renting it for a temporary short period of time. It's called a hotel. It's not called an apartment house. 
It's the hotel. You stay in the hotel, and then you generally leave after a few days or a couple of weeks. That's how it works. You agree to that when you sign in at the hotel. If you read the small print, you won't damage the property. If you do, you'll be liable for it. And you need to check out on the last day that you're authorized to stay there. Is that not comparable to what immigration does at the port of entry? How long will you stay in the United States? I asked that question for four years. I was an inspector the first four years of my career with the INS. And the person says, well, I plan to spend, I'll never forget it. The Brits always say a fortnight. I had no idea what in the world a fortnight was. So someone had to explain to me because I was an American who knew nothing about England. I was 23 when I first started working for the government. A fortnight is two weeks. So I might say, okay, now it's automatic six months, which is also wrong. So I would say, I'll give you a month in case you decide you're having such a good time. But after that month, they're expected to leave. Is that not unlike what happens at a hotel? The person checks into the hotel. They say, I'm going to stay until the 30th and the 15th or whatever. And the night before that, during the night while you're sleeping, they slide the bill under the door. That's kind of like the notice that these aliens have been served. Your time is up. You've exhausted legal recourse. Time for you to go. And if you listen to the screams and the yelps and this nonsense about the xenophobes and the haters, if you come on a permanent visa as a true immigrant, you are welcome to stay for the rest of your life. You're on the path to citizenship. We admitted more than a million aliens that way last year. Okay? When you come as a non-immigrant, non-immigrant means temporary. If you run the border, all bets are off. That's how it works. That's how it works for every single country. So when the president said that he was going to have ICE agents go out and arrest these people, that's great. That's a way to take pressure off the border. It should not be a bargaining chip with a corrupt Democrat. So I doubt that President Trump is listening, but Mr. President, if you're listening, this is the way we ought to be conducting business routinely periodically have ICE agents go out. We used to do it and look for people, whether or not they have criminal histories, if they've overstayed, if, they've been, if they have a final order, we used to call it bag and baggage. What did it mean? You pick them up, you get their belongings, and you put them on the airplane and say, see ya. That's the way it works. What is unreasonable about that, folks? I plan to write for Front Page Magazine about that whole issue. Finally, I want to get to the driver's licenses. Uh, Really a serious problem. Since 9-11, to my knowledge, no airplanes have been used in terror attacks. The weapon of mass destruction of choice for terrorists around the United States have been motor vehicles. It's happened in New York. There was that guy who was legally admitted. I believe he was a refugee. I don't have the material directly in front of me. Forgive me. I don't want to misspeak who rented a truck and mowed down, I believe it was eight people on the bike path on the west side of New York. He had a driver's license. The driver's license enabled him to rent the truck. If he had no license, he couldn't have rented the truck. Why would you give people driver's licenses if they're here illegally and it's virtually impossible to be certain as to what their true identities are? The 9-11 Commission, why aren't we talking about that? There's been story after story about the people that were sickened on 9-11, all the first responders who were dying, the whole issue was funding the money for the Zadruga bill, 
to give the money to these people who are dying terribly. Police officers, first responders, and volunteers who are dying of cancer or other debilitating illnesses, they're suffering mightily. Go back to the 9-11 Commission. It's not just enough to take care of those first responders, and we damn well better, okay? But we ought to do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen again, you know, never again. Let's really apply that to terrorists, never again. So we know we saw the attacks in Nice. We saw the attacks elsewhere, the terrorist used vehicles. If you go back to 1993, January, a Pakistani by the name of uh, Kansi shot up the CIA, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others. And how did he do it? He was part of a courier service. His courier van, which are really ubiquitous, it's like a tree in a forest, had a permit to pull into the parking lot at the CIA complex in Virginia. Pulled in, got out of the car with an AK-47 and opened fire. He had a driver's license. He had a vehicle. What's the lesson? Driver's licenses can become a license to kill. It's remarkable that in New York City, if you're caught with a handgun and you don't have a permit, or your permit isn't for the handgun you're caught with, you're going to jail for two years. And then you see these stories about all these hit and runs. Most of them, in my experience, are illegal aliens because they don't want to get arrested. And when I was in Mexico, I was told, if you have an accident, run for your life. Because in Mexico, the, the way they do business, they'll lock you up for six months and at their leisure decide whether or not you were right or wrong. So the whole mindset is accident, run. Run like the wind. So you have people coming into the United States illegally. We don't know who they are. We're going to give them driver's licenses. But if that person has a firearm and you're an illegal alien, you're looking at 10 years in jail for that firearm as an illegal alien. New York State has a law that says that aliens are not allowed to possess a firearm in New York State. Boy, we're tough on guns, but we're not tough on cars. So think about this. We have no fly list to keep terrorists off of airplanes. And half the time that list is screwed up. But there's no such thing as a no-drive list. Anybody that wants to drive can. And they just made it easier for hundreds of thousands. And not just residents of New York. On 9-11, you had terrorists going around the country looking to find the states that made it easiest to get a driver's license. Because the terrorists in the aggregate used 360-plus false names or variations of false names and got documentation that was both authentic, counterfeit, or altered to cover their tracks, enable them to move freely around the United States, and carry out the attacks. So we know where the vulnerabilities are. We know where the vulnerabilities are. So you could have someone come to New York from elsewhere with fake documentation. These people are questioned document examiners. And because of sanctuary policies, they're no longer going to work with us. I used to work with motor vehicles. Yeah, we got this guy, and he's giving us a fake name, fake address, so on and so forth. We would arrest him. We turned out that the guy was an illegal alien. Well, not anymore. Although, to their credit, you have some county clerks in upstate New York openly defying Cuomo. I spoke to a deputy commissioner in upstate New York, and they said, this is illegal. It's dangerous. We're going to defy the governor's order. I wish they all would. We'll see what happens. But they're putting themselves in legal jeopardy. These people are heroes. One of them was interviewed, in fact, on Laura Ingram. So you're giving people driver's licenses to be able to rent a car. Now imagine how this plays out. We have a no-fly list. Guy can't get on an airplane. 
but there's nothing to say that he can't go over to a rental company, rent a car, and drive to another city and carry out an attack. Cars are being used. Trucks are being used. They're also being used in another way that you might not think of. If you can drive a cab or, or an airport van, some kind of a commercial vehicle where passengers get on and off, you can use that van to have a clandestine meeting with a cohort if you're a terrorist or a gang member. Even if you're doing surveillance, and I don't know how many thousands of hours I spent doing surveillance, if some guy gets in the back of a cab or, or an Uber, is there any way of knowing if that guy is a passenger or something more sinister is going on? We know this happens. So those vehicles could become a place for clandestine meetings. Those vehicles give terrorists mobility and camouflage so they can scope out locations that they're planning to attack. And driver's licenses give these aliens a level of credibility that they're not entitled to have because they're here illegally. If you're going to do business with someone, you're going to say to the guy, do you have ID? And if the guy, as my mother would have said, starts fumfering, you know, oh, I, 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 I had it, I lost it, I got it. You're going to say, oh, this guy's fly by night. I'm not dealing with him. But if this guy can pull out a driver's license, oh, he must be legit. He's got a license. Sure, we know who he is. Not so much. And it's funny because a few years ago, and if you look at my latest article for Front Page Magazine about the driver's licenses, the New York Times did a really amazing story about Roosevelt Avenue, which is where all the drugs are and all the money wire services. It's also where the document vendors are. And the police would go out there and round up the document vendors because those fake documents were helping fugitives to hide. Well, guess what? Driver's licenses and the New York State Municipal ID is worse because these are authentic government-issued documents. We've met the enemy, and it's our own government. If you're not willing to allow people to carry firearms without a permit, because you have to ascertain who they are, are they safe? You know, my dad taught me how to drive. One of the first things he said to me when he handed me the keys to the family car, he got very serious. And when issues of life and death and safety were on the line, my dad would get real serious. He was a construction worker. He was a tradesman. And tradesmen, construction workers, do work that's even more dangerous than law enforcement. Risky business. He lost a lot of his friends, and many of his friends have been badly injured on the job. He, he got banged up a bunch of times. So for safety, boy, oh, boy, my father would get real serious. May I rest in peace. He was my hero along with my mom. And he'd say, Mike, never forget, a car can be more lethal than a gun. And the terrorists have proved my dad right. So we are willing to provide illegal aliens whose identities, backgrounds, and intentions are being here are unknown and unknowable with a license that gives them access to a motor vehicle more lethal than a gun and a level of credibility that makes it that much easier for them to embed themselves, not just in New York, but travel anywhere in the country. And they have that driver's license. They can check into a hotel. They can enter a corporate office building or a government office building. Here's my ID. They look legitimate. Maybe they're anything but legitimate. But meanwhile, go to the airport. 85-year-old women are getting searched. Five-year-old little children are getting x-rayed. But motor vehicles, the weapon of choice for terrorists around the world today. Thank you, Governor Cuomo. You just made it so much easier for ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah to embed themselves in our communities and carry out attacks. The insanity never ends, but the American people have 
that stood up. In Hong Kong, the people were alarmed that the government of Hong Kong wanted to enter into an extradition treaty with mainland China, with the PRC, the People's Republic. Sure thing, People's Republic. Something like a quarter of the population of Hong Kong took to the streets. How many more Americans need to die at the hands of gang members, criminal aliens, drunk drivers, or terrorists before the American people make our elected representatives accountable? I wrote about this a week ago, how sanctuary cities release criminals who go on to kill children, but when a sheriff's deputy failed to act to protect children in a school in the judgment of the prosecutors, he's been arrested and charged with a series of felonies, but nothing ever happens to the governors and mayors of sanctuary cities that are responsible for carnage across the United States. I always make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope my program helps you to understand the issues from the perspective that the mainstream media is not providing. That's the purpose of my program. That's why I do all of the things that I've been doing, because on 9-11, something in my heart and in my head snapped. Seeing those ashes flooded down in my neighborhood, Seeing my neighbors out on the street screaming because they would never again see their wives or their husbands, their children, their parents, their siblings, their best friends. Nobody who was in New York on that god-awful day will ever be the same. Certainly I won't. But rather than just be angry, we need to do something. We need to translate that anger, take that anger, and turn it into energy to bring about the changes that we need. And we need to stand up to the bullies. There is nothing xenophobic about keeping our door locked at night, especially when the police warn you that home invaders have been breaking into houses and robbing and killing and raping. America has home invaders. And yes, many of the illegal aliens are decent people and they're desperate. But the problem is we don't know the good guys from the bad guys without a scorecard. And undocumented means no scorecard. Let's grow uh, some chutzpah. Let's, 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 let's get to the point where the politicians are worried about us rather than the current state of affairs where we're worried about them. We never know what they're going to do to us next, and they ought to be wondering what we're going to do, whether it's litigation, whether it's demonstration, certainly being involved in the voting process. Get involved. Have conversations with your neighbors. Exercise your First Amendment rights. I always hear about concerns about the Second Amendment. Let's not forget the First Amendment. Don't back down. The term alien is not a pejorative. It simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. And to provide you with a bit of clarity, folks, the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. Again, I, uh, I really want to thank you for listening to my program. And once again, I ask you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. If you find my program and the information that I provide here, or in my articles at frontpagemag.com. I also write for Dennis Michael Lynch, dmlnews.com, and I do podcasts with him every week. If you find that information helpful, please forward it to as many people as you can and encourage them to be good Americans by getting involved because, again, democracy is not the spectator's sport. I expect to see you again on Friday. We'll see on Friday next week. At the same time, 7 p.m. East Coast time. Meanwhile, enjoy the balance of your weekend. Be well. See you next week.